The right kind of help can make all the difference in the world, right? And so from the right kind of teaching or training or diagnosis or treatment, all of these kind of things can radically alter an outcome. And so I've shared this before, but a few months, uh, a few years ago, I actually needed an operation to extract a piece of bone out of my leg that was causing me a great deal of pain. And so months prior to that, uh, from physios to sports physicians to uh, orthopedic surgeons, none of them could really truly diagnose what was actually the root cause of the problem. And so I was first treated for a muscle tear in my leg, but that didn't bring me much relief. Then a, few, a, a set of scan, a scan uh, supposedly revealed that I had a split disc in my back and would need a backup. And then another opinion was that I had pieces of bone fragments inside my hip and so I would need a hip replacement. And so it was only after another set of scan and an orthopedic surgeon who then decided to do a biopsy, which then discovered what was really causing me the pain. And then within months after receiving the right treatment, I made a full recovery. And so the right kind of help makes all the difference in the world. And so let me do just a quick recap of all the important points that we have seen in this subsection of Hebrews 3 and 4. And so the questions that the book of Hebrews is addressing to are actually undergoing persecution, leading some of them to being tempted to actually forsake their faith altogether. And so the author writes to this audience and wants to exhort them on, on a few things. And so firstly, he calls them to worship Jesus Christ in order to combat unfaithfulness in their lives. And so if you want to be faithful to God, you've got to press in in Jesus, uh, uh, in Jesus Christ. Then next he exhorts them to actually exhort one another daily so that they would avoid God's judgment over their hard hearts. And then finally, it calls them to, to say, hey, listen, since the hope of God's redemption still stands, press in, lean in on it, because God is that good, that good, that he extends his hope for redemption to, uh, towards anyone who would receive it. And so, the, and so the, the really the heart or the burden of the author's exhortation up to this point has been remaining faithful to God. Remain faithful to God to the end. That's what he wants to see happen in his uh, audience's lives. And so as he caps off the subsection in the book of Hebrews, he then wants to urge them to actually press in in receiving the right help that they will need to be faithful to God. And so by receiving this help, it will make all the difference on their journey of salvation. And so let's look at the text as, as, uh, as he caps off. And so Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, he writes to them saying, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so there are two exhortations, connected exhortation in this text. The first is verse 14, let us hold fast our confession, which has been the burden of the author during the subsection. And so think back to Hebrews 3, verse 6, uh, uh, 6, where he writes and he says, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 
Again, 3 verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Then the second exhortation in the, uh, in the text actually explains or expands as to how they ought to actually hold f- uh, uh, fast. And so verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And so the tense of this verb, draw near, near actually expresses a continuous coming. And so you ought to continuously uh, uh, draw near to this throne of uh, of grace. And then the verse uh, uh, continues, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so what is the time of need? The current persecution and temptation to forsake the faith. And so amid all of that, the author of Hebrews is exhorting them to say, hey, you've got to continuously be coming to the throne of God's grace so that you would hold fast and remain faithful, uh, faith, uh, faithful to God by the help that you will receive. And so therefore, he has the point that he's making, uh, is making to them, and it is simply this, that you will need, you will need God's supernatural help in order to remain faithful to God. You will need God's supernatural help to remain faithful to God. And so why supernatural? And so notice a few things. Number one, where, uh, uh, number one, from where does this help come from? And so verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens the heavens. And so what's transpiring with this help that they ought to receive is not transpiring in this natural world, but this help will come from the heavenly, uh, uh, the heavenly, uh, 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 the heavenly realm. And so that's where this help is coming from. And then second, you also ought not to miss, uh, miss exactly, uh, just exactly from whom does this help will come from. And so verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that is not an earthly throne for one and the one who occupies that throne is not of this natural world and so this help that we will need in order to remain faithful to God does not originate from this natural world it transcends this natural world and has got its origin its place in the very infinite being of God himself, the supernatural difference maker that your life of faithfulness will need. Uh, uh, will need. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was uh, uh, studying this text again and getting really confronted with the reality that I will need God's supernatural help in order to remain faithful to God, it actually took me aback a bit. I was jolted a, a, a bit aback and began kind of wondering, they said like, sure, do I really truly believe that and live like that? Because had you asked me prior to that, that, that buddy, uh, buddy, what is most required for you in order to live faithfully before God? I don't know that access to God's supernatural help would have been the first thing you would have heard coming out of my mouth, uh, my mouth. I probably would have said, uh, probably would have said that I would have needed to do a little bit, a, a little less of this or a bit more of of that uh, that before actually expressing a dependence on God's supernatural help in order to remain faithful to God. And so then, why am I or you 
for them, uh, that matter, perhaps, not always living with a sense, a heightened degree or sense of awareness of how much we need God's supernatural help in order to remain faithful to Him. Why don't we always realize that and depend on it more than we do? My guess is, uh, guess is that many of us don't live with a heightened uh, uh, level of awareness of just how much we need God's supernatural help, uh, help for these following reasons. Number one, disbelief. And so we don't always believe enough at how much God is present and ready and willing to lend us the help that we need. God can sometimes be too small in our minds to actually be involved in the big, uh, big problems of humanity, right? In our big human affairs. And so a sovereign being who watches our every move, who can, will, and does intervene in the mundane of our lives can sometimes be too far-fetched a reality to really be of use to us, right? But that only changes when we start to deal with cancer level kind of stuff, that out of desperation, then we are actually then willing to actually press in and look for uh, uh, look for divine intervention. But for the most part in, in our lives, we live in doubt. Is this area really an area in my life that God can really get involved in, uh, uh, involved in? Uh, uh, or do I depend on God? Or can I really depend on God in how I actually uh, 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 depend on God, depend on His divine intervention in how I actually respond to a rebellious child? Or when my best friend lets me down? Can I really truly depend on divine intervention in how I deal with this downcast mood or this anxiety that I've been feeling, uh, uh, feeling over the past few months? And so, Disbelief. Second, discernment. By that I mean a lack of discernment. And so the Apostle Paul writes about the Christian life. And here's what he says about the Christian life. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, uh, uh, powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But sadly, we are not always prudent. We're not always prudent to really realize, just uh, uh, realize and fully comprehend the spiritual aspects of our Christian lives. And so due to our lack of discernment, we don't always uh, either uh, uh, believe or act as the spiritual being we also are and realize that if we are to actually be uh, live Christian lives, that will, uh, that, uh, Christian lives, that more than just the natural will be required. We will need the supernatural in order to live faithful, uh, faithfully for God. And so we lack the discernment or understanding, truly understanding that, and then pressing in on God, in God in order to really, truly receive that. Third, distracted. And so either through forgetfulness or, uh, 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 or just a sense of uh, a careless, uh, carelessness, we are not always really uh, uh, um, uh, sort of kind of aware, aware of what it is we are really up against. And then also, uh, also because of an obsession, uh, uh, obsession with just the present reality of the year and now, now, we tend to get distracted about what we really truly spiritually need. 
There's just so many toys that can be gained in uh, uh, gained in this world. So much fun can be had in the just the, the reality of our flesh that we allow ourselves to be distracted, be absolutely distracted by the things there is to gain in this natural world alone. For disillusioned. And so we have all, right? have experienced the disappointment of having trusted God in God for something and it didn't turn out in the way that we wanted to. And so out of that disappointment, out of disillusionment, we can actually respond by either, uh, either in, in um, uh, defiance or uh, in, uh, uh, being in defeat. And so let me start with defeat. In defeat, uh, defeat, and so we no longer are expectant on God's supernatural intervention in our lives so as to spare ourselves having our hopes been dashed, or in defiance, uh, in defiance, no longer to be fooled that God can somehow act supernaturally for me. I better just do it myself. And then the last one, disobedience. Let's just be honest that sometimes in our Christian walks, we enjoy our sin far more than loving God instead of our sin. And so sometimes sin can really promise us some thrills, can give us some, some levels of power. Whatever it promises us, we start to actually love that more, enjoy that more and more. And so look to that to actually experience life. The scriptures will tell us we turn to our sin as sin, which are broken cisterns that cannot give us any water instead of turning to the living one who promises us living water. And so as uh, out of disobedience, knowing that God is calling us away from our sin towards him, our disobedience sometimes, because we love what our sin, uh, our sin, sin the temporary pleasures that our sin, our sin are able to give us in this world. And so out of disobedience, we don't lean in the supernatural help of God, but we turn towards our sin. And so friends, I want to urge you today, to actually search your heart. Search your heart. Are you actually living expectant, expectant of God's supernatural help as you lead a life of faithfulness before him? Search your heart of, uh, over, the, uh, over that. Because if we are allowing some mental or even functional barriers to get in the way of us living expectant of God's supernatural power, uh, power we actually end up self-sabotage. It is a self-sabotage, and here's why. Because, uh, because you, will start to, uh, 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 you will start to believe in some way. If you're allowing these barriers to just settle in, you'll start to believe that somehow that you're doomed to continuously and perpetually lack what you will need in order to be all, the, all that God is calling you to be. And if you allow that, that, uh, 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 that kind of thinking to start to settle as your functional belief, then, then you'll start to cultivate a distrust in God himself because God will start to seem like to you that he isn't prepared to lift a finger to help you become who he, who he is calling you to be. And, and so no, friend, God is available to help you. He is available to help you. You ought to depend rely on his supernatural help more than you do. If that's the case, then how do we draw close enough to God in order to rely 
on his supernatural help. And so it will be by this. You need to understand this conundrum that God is, uh, uh, that God is not as approachable as you think. But he is far more approachable than you think. And so I'll say that again. God is not as approachable as you think, but he, but he is far more approachable than you think. And so let's take these two things in, uh, in part and unpack them a bit. And so first, God is not as approachable as you think. And so when we think about the God of mercy and the God of grace, it is understandable that we would immediately think that he is super approachable, right? But he's not. He's not. And so let's see that, uh, see, uh, see that in the text. And so two ways that the text shows us that God is not as approachable as you may think. And so first, in the, net, uh, in the supernatural aspects of his help. And so, uh, and so first we saw that his help will come from the heavens, uh, heavens, which when you think about the heavens, the heavens, uh, heavens is actually inaccessible to us, right? And so where is it? Do you know the directions to it? Can you just pass through it, come and go, into it as you please. No, of course not, right? And so if the heavens will be God's dwelling place, then God is not as approachable as you think. Second thing to note, uh, uh, to, to note with that is, what do we actually, uh, actually associate with those who sit on thrones? We tend to associate a greater level of status and authority than we ourselves possess, right? Now, here's the thing. We shouldn't just assume that with such a, a levels of authority and power that God will use his power for our benefit. He just may not. Not if he chooses to. Either way, we are actually at his mercy. And so therefore, you've got to proceed with caution in approaching such a powerful being. Proceed with caution because you don't know how he might react towards you. And so when you take these two aspects in the text together, what they actually are conveying to us is the holiness of God. Holiness meaning that everything God is in, in character and attribute, it is so unlike us. He is not like us. And so he set apart from us. It's not like you and me. And so therefore, if you're going to approach such a holy being who is not like you, you know, like you, don't gamble as to whether it will go well with you in approaching him. No, be sure of it. Be sure of it. The second way we see in the text how God is not as approachable as you may think is based on your own merits. Now, this is implied when the text speaks to us about Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's Jesus' merit, sinlessness is not like us. Let us, verse 16 then, with, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace based on Jesus' merits and not ours. And so therefore, based on your own merit, God is not as approachable as you may think, which should be actually good news 
to us. And here's why. Because if it was based on your own merits, which can blow hot or cold, depending on the day, then some days will be far better than others in how you can actually gain access to God's supernatural help. Some days will be better, some days will be worse. And so then imagine the kind of limbo you will find yourself in life. If, 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 if some days were better, some days were worse in how you gain access to God, the kind of limbo it will leave you in since you actually need God's supernatural help daily if you are to live in faithfulness towards God. And so God is not as approachable as you may think. But, and here's why you've got to love the gospel in and through Jesus Christ. He is far more approachable than you could ever think. Far more approachable than you could ever think. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession and let us uh, uh, let, let us draw, verse 16, near to the throne of grace. Yeah, grace. And so we are able to keep continuously, keep coming to the throne of grace to receive the help that we will need in order to hold fast and remain faithful to God because of Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, God is far more approachable than you could ever think. Which then leads us to ask the question, how? Huh? How huh? has Jesus somehow made God, uh, God far more approachable than we could ever think? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That word sympathize, uh, sympathize doesn't just mean, mean someone who's actually able to just feel and understand what we're going through, but it, include, uh, it includes that this person is actually moved to take, uh, to take action and do something about what we're going through. And so Jesus, as our high priest, was moved to take action and do something about our weaknesses. How? The verse continues and tells us, in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so what does this phrase mean? And so let's first start by what it cannot possibly mean. It cannot mean that while Jesus walked the face of the earth, that he actually suffered or endured every kind of expression or temptation known to, uh, uh, to humanity. It cannot mean that. I think we can safely say that Jesus, uh, Jesus did not endure the temptation of online pornography. He did not endure, uh, endure the, tempta uh, the temptation of social media, uh, 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 media, for example. He did not endure the temptation of recreational tech or meth use or any other kind of expression or temptation, uh, 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 temptation known to our age because he didn't live necessarily in our time. He lived in a specific time in a, spe spe a specific place. And so when the text says that in every respect he was tempted as we are, it cannot mean that Jesus knew every kind of expression or temptation known across the ages. 
which then leaves us to have to ask the question. And so then how can it be said? How can it be said that Jesus was so moved to do something about my weakness, weaknesses, that it can then be said that in every way, in way he was tempted as I was and endured it without sinning. And so therefore, by on the basis of his merit, gives me access to God. How can we then say that? How can we then put that together? If Jesus did not know every kind of temptation that I, I, every kind of expression of temptation that I'm accustomed to, then how can he really be a faithful high priest that gives me the access I need to God? The answer is context, context, context. It is so important when you interpret the Bible. And so let me ask you a few questions as we try to unravel what this phrase may mean. And so the first question will be this. What sort of temptation is the original audience actually going through? What are they being tempted with? They're being tempted to abandon their faith. That's what they're being tempted with. Next question. What is actually the root cause? The root cause at the heart of such uh, of such uh, temptation. What would be causing it? What is at the heart of such drifting or, let me put it another way, uh, way, of falling away from the living God, which the author of Hebrews has been warning them against? A hardened heart. A hardened heart. And so, and so, and so when the text talks about how Jesus in every respect was tempted as they are, and yet did not succumb to that temptation, uh, temptation, so that on the base uh, on the base of his merits, they can have access to God. Then listen, this is very important. Here's what it means. It means that Jesus has uh, has once and for all dealt definitively with the proneness of our human hearts. That's what it means. And so in his humanity, Jesus shared, shared, but took, uh, took on a human heart in all its proneness, in its proneness to want to harden and turn away from the living God. And so in every respect, Jesus was tempted to harden his heart before the face of the living God and not once that he succumbed to it. And so therefore, only Jesus knows how to actually draw the human heart in all its proneness into the presence and power of God. Listen, friend, at this point, you should be saying to yourself, oh my God, oh my God, why? As actually the penny starts to drop in awe as to why nothing is better than Jesus. For only in Jesus Christ, as the human heart in all its proneness, as some have been able to uh, enter into the presence of God, uh, of God and actually receive the right kind of help it will need from God himself based on the merits of Jesus Christ alone. And so therefore, Jesus Christ, Christ alone is the one on the basis of his merit has made God far more approachable than you could ever imagine. That's the gospel. Listen, 
There is so much complexity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ has really done and managed to achieve for us in the presence of God. In fact, that's what the author of Hebrews will go on to talk a bit about some of this complexity that we found in the gospel. And so the gospel is not, it is not a simplistic message. But yes, the good news. In, the, in that complexity, there is a beautiful and disarming simplicity in its call to you to respond to it. Just draw near. Come. Look at that. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. That's the simplicity of response that the gospel calls. And so you who are prone to harden your heart in the face of God, just draw near. You who are unable to remain faithful to God unless you receive his supernatural help in your life. Just draw near. And so the simplicity of response to the gospel calls you to come here, to just draw near and receive from God that which you will need. But listen, friend, don't miss this stuff. Don't miss this stuff. The only reason why it is that simple for you to actually be able to draw near to God is because of the one who has gone before you, entered into the presence of God, pleaded your case before the Lord. And so based on his merit, you are then welcome to draw with confidence to the throne of grace and receive the supernatural help you will need in order to remain faithful to God. And so just draw near the simplicity of response that the gospel calls to. And so the this, this simplicity of response also actually play itself out in the simplicity of our prayer lives. That's how you apply this, uh, this whole text through your prayer life. For prayer is actually us expressing our dependence on God, on God. And so whenever we pray, we are saying, God, we can't, you must. And so that's why we are drawing close and are saying, Lord, into your hands we're placing all these things. Would you intervene? And so as you draw near on the base, base uh, based on Jesus' mer uh, merit, pray. Pray, uh, pray for yourself and others interceding over your weaknesses, over your temptations, asking God to supernaturally provide the help that you will need in order to remain faithful to God. You pray in repentance and you pray in faith, crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, would you help? Would you help so that I will live a life that is worthy and faithful to your calling. As a friend, just draw near. Amen.